Good morning, I'm Tippi Cruz. It's Thursday, January 25th. Privacy rights advocates are concerned over new changes to San Diego's surveillance transparency law. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. The San Diego Regional Task Force on Homelessness has its 2024 point-in-time count today. The count provides a one-day snapshot of the minimum number of San Diegans living in emergency shelters, transitional housing, safe havens, on streets, and along riverbeds. It also collects data on the needs of individuals experiencing homelessness. Tamara Kohler is the task force's CEO. It gives us demographic information. It lets us know maybe increases in individuals who are, say, 55 or older. It lets us sort of see what the landscape looks like of families experiencing homelessness, how people are experiencing homelessness. Kohler said more than 10,000 people were homeless during last year's count. The official numbers for this year's count will be released later this year. Student assistants working for the Cal State University system start voting today on whether they will unionize. There are 20,000 CSU assistants across the state and most make minimum wage, with no paid sick leave or health insurance. Elisa Mendez Pintado is a graduate student assistant at SDSU, working in the Latinx Resource Center. She's encouraged by the recent strike and tentative agreement for the California Faculty Association goes to show what a collective effort and what a collective voice can do and the power that it can have within a large university system like CSU. Online voting continues through February 9th. If a majority agrees, student assistants will become part of the CSU's Employees Union. KPBS employs student assistants from SDSU. The county's Registrar of Voters Office is still looking for poll workers for the March 5th presidential primary election. They're especially looking for people who are bilingual. Poll workers are paid anywhere from $135 to $160 each day, depending on the assignment. And on Election Day, that amount is higher because of extended hours. You can find more information on sdvote.com. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. The San Diego City Council this week approved substantial changes to the city's surveillance transparency law. Investigative reporter Scott Rod reports that privacy advocates say the changes watered down hard-fought reforms. San Diego has had a rocky history with surveillance technology. In 2016, for example, the city rolled out so-called smart streetlights equipped with cameras, which police began to review. 
without the public knowing. So privacy rights advocates celebrated in 2022 when the city passed an ordinance requiring the review of all surveillance equipment within one year. Fast forward to today. That deadline has been pushed back by several years. Few technologies have been fully vetted. And privacy rights advocates sound like this. We are furious. Today's vote is a time to show the people watching that you stand by your words. That was Lily Irani speaking during the city council's regular meeting on Tuesday. The council voted to exempt technologies such as surveillance cameras and police databases from review. And the changes will likely keep coming. Here's Councilmember Marnie Von Wilpert, who chairs the city's Public Safety Committee. I will bring this ordinance forward for amendments as often as we need, because we are going to have to work to get this right. Council members approved the changes with a 6-2 vote. Scott Rod, KPBS News. Twenty twenty four may turn out to be a good year for San Diego County farmers. A new program aims to shift money the county already spends on food to spending it on food grown by this county's farmers. Reporter John Carroll shows us how one San Diego business is helping the whole system work. 99% of our farms are just right here in the county. It's a busy day for Kristen Cavernland at Food Shed Cooperative on Fairmount Avenue. She's talking about the farms Food Shed works with, the importance of sourcing food locally. On this day, her team is packing up food deliveries, mainly for low-income people of color. The more we invest, like the, the better it is for the environment, the more nutritionally dense the food is, and the more you can support local, small local businesses and keep your money circulating in the community. Investing in the community, that's what the county's new sustainable, equitable, and local food sourcing program is all about. It's just vast, the number of different programs that we have that serve meals and serve our communities. County Supervisor Tara Lawson-Reamer says shortly after being elected as supervisor, she discovered that the county's way of paying for all that food largely left local farmers out of the picture. So she set about designing a program that utilizes what she calls a values-based system that prioritizes San Diego County farmers. We have the value of buying nutritious food. Um, we have the value of buying food that doesn't exploit the workers and, you know, have people, uh, you know, get, uh, working and not getting a water break or, or whatever, getting them to go to the bathroom. Um, that we, we got to have the value of making sure that the, uh, that the food that we buy for the county is grown in a way that's not contributing to our stormwater runoff. Those values have been part of the food shed operation for the last few years. Kristen Cavernland says with the county program now in place, it will help Food Shed to turn the traditional system of procuring food on its head. The way it works now is schools, jails, and all sorts of programs that feed people decide what they need and then order the food. Cavernland says with Food Shed, it's just the opposite. She first talks to the buyers to find out what they need so the farmers can grow what's needed. We're asking um, our our buyers to work with us to plan together so that we can guarantee the farmers their sale. So we have to predict our markets six months to a year in advance and then I create a collective crop plan and I go out and I let the farmers know we need, you know, 15,000 bunches of carrots this year and 20,000 heads of lettuce. 
who can grow it? And we divide it up amongst all of our farms. Cavernland says doing business this way also helps diversify risk. So if one farm has a failure, others can pick up the slack. And that, she says, builds resilience in the local food system. In other words, what they do at Food Shed dovetails with the county's new program. It's huge for our farm. It's huge for all the other local farms in this area. Mike Clark of Rodriguez Family Farms in Valley Center is thrilled with the new county program, and he says Food Shed is an important part of the process. As farmers, you know, we're busy with farming and it takes a lot of effort and a lot of time to do the farming work. So. Um, down there at Food Shed, they're doing amazing work, you know, bringing that connection to us and, you know, the schools and the correction facilities, you know, wherever this, this, this product and this money is going to be going to. Along with the various types of squash, kale, and strawberries, there's something else to be found on Rodriguez Family Farms. This product is of the rhythmic variety. It's Clark's cousin, Mongoil Rodriguez, communicating a message about the importance of organic farming in his own unique way. Yo, last of a dying breed, protectors of a righteous creed. We need more non-GMO seeds, more chances to advance without politicians taking a stance against us. In other words, just what the new county program is designed to do. Refocus the support of the county, of the taxpayers' money, to San Diego County's farmers. John Carroll, KPBS News. A former whites-only neighborhood could become San Diego's largest historic district to date. Reporter Katie Heisen looked into why critics say it would reinforce racial divides this kind of ornate woodwork on the garage door. That's Laura Henson, president of the Talmadge Historical Society. She points out the house on Norma Drive's distinct Depression-era features, tile roofing and enclosed courtyard. It's one of more than 400 properties that could be protected if the city's preservation board votes to recommend Talmadge as a historic district. Henson says it's important to preserve the history of these homes, subsidized by FDR's New Deal. Critics say there's another side to that history. The subsidies almost never extended to Black homebuyers, and the neighborhood marketed itself as whites only, boosting property values. Wesley Morgan says naming it Historic District would worsen this divide by increasing home prices, decreasing property taxes, and slowing housing development. He's a member of the Mission Hills Historic Society. Those who have the resources to invest and in spend the time to look at history and write reports benefit from all of the privilege. He says that lack of diversity in historic preservation committees fails the rest of San Diego. The majority of people will never live in a historic district. They can't afford to live there. And those are our highest resource areas. Katie Heisen, KPBS News. Monday's flooding damaged businesses throughout the county. Reporter Melissa May spoke with a Mission Valley business owner about his next steps. The Grantville Station Business Park on Mission Gorge Road is right next to a part of the San Diego River. And after Monday's flooding, water overflowed over the concrete barriers and caused major damage to all the businesses, including Traveler Coffee Roaster and One Season Brewing. Owner Dan Romeo says his business had never really recovered from the pandemic and was actually in the process of selling some of his assets. 
but now they're you know, they're worthless. You know, everything here just got destroyed. I'm in the in the middle of just trying to put the pieces together and trying to salvage whatever can be salvaged over the next couple of weeks. I don't have flood insurance, so this is all just a massive loss. The Insurance Information Institute recommends reporting damages to San Diego County. The county is collecting a damage assessment survey so they can assess the extent of the damage and advocate to the state and federal governments for assistance. Melissa May, KPBS News. A link to the county survey is available on our website, kpbs.org. The Farmers Insurance Open is underway at Torrey Pines. Reporter Alexander Wynn tells us for a group of college-age young adults, the Farmers Open gives them an opportunity to explore careers associated with the golf tournament. As golfers drive, chip, and putt their way down the course at Torrey Pines, a group of underserved college-age young adults got a behind-the-scenes tour of the Farmers Insurance Open. They got to see how the tournament is produced for television, how the length of each drive and each putt is measured. Seeing it in person was so amazing. These young adults are part of the Champions for Youth Career Tour hosted by the Century Club. The club operates the entire Farmers Open. Jennifer Cota is with the Century Club. It is our way to give back to the community. And in, as a way of that, or as part of that, we're leveraging this tournament and all that sort of all those opportunities that come with it. Many of the 30 young participants are transitioning out of the foster care system and don't have access to guidance or career mentors. Coda says this is one way the Century Club is providing that support. Alexander Wynn, KPBS News. A local group called Stay Strange San Diego is branching out this Saturday. Arts and culture reporter Beth Accomando spoke to a member of the group about their upcoming event. Stay Strange San Diego is a collective that specializes in noise music. They're also a record label, book publisher, YouTube channel, bike team, and now a film festival, says curator Sam Lopez. Someone will come up and say, hey, I've got this. And I'm like, hmm, what can we do interesting with that? And so I did have somebody who came up and they're like, hey, I've got a film. And so I was like, hmm, tell you what, let's just build a film festival around it. And he did. He's curated two dozen films for the inaugural Stay Strange Short Film Festival. With Stay Strange, it's implied in the name that things are going to be kind of off kilter. Most of them are strange or weird in a nice way. You know, each of them has their own uniqueness to them. And, you know, you're going to find that they're somewhat abstract, absurd, some scary. That's what's cool about it. It's going to be varied and eclectic. You can sample that diversity this Saturday, starting at 3 p.m. at the College Rolando Library. Beth Accomando, KPBS News. That's it for the podcast today. As always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. Join us again tomorrow for the day's top stories. I'm Debbie Cruz. Thanks for listening and have a great Thursday.
KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego, offering the online Master of Data Science program, a blend of computer science, statistics, and domain expertise. Learn more about University of California San Diego's online Master of Data Science program at omds.ucsd.edu.